ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Navdeep Saini. He's the co-founder and CEO of DistroScale, a leading media technology company with the industry's most comprehensive video platform across web, apps, and connected TV. DistroScale is the parent company of DistroTV, the nation's largest independent, free, ad-supported subscription TV network. Hi, Navdeep. Thank you so much for joining us today. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. You launched DistroTV in 2019, and it has since become the nation's largest independent, free, ad-supported subscription TV or FAST platform with audiences in the U.S., the U.K., and Canada. It streams more than 150 channels, including Bloomberg TV, Bloomberg Quick Take, and Us Weekly TV. At launch, who was your target consumer? Were you thinking of the platform as a gen pop destination or a bundle of niche audiences? The latter. When we started Distro TV, our goal and how we wanted to stand out was to offer content that matches people's interests or affinities across various verticals. So instead of creating something which is just old movies and old shows, we have movies and shows as well, but we wanted to create a platform that really brings content that connects with people's interests and affinities, such as news, sports, comedy, e-gaming, music, cultural affinities. There are a lot of people in uh, North America and Europe that are from different backgrounds. So we also want to bring content that connects them with different cultures. Yeah. Right. And so so then, as we know, COVID sent everyone home in 2020 and really expanded the number of hours of content that people could consume while also creating financial constraints that made a free ad-supported streaming service really appealing. So did you notice that the growth pattern outstripped projections? Was it consistent with projections? You went in pre-pandemic with a plan and then the pandemic happened. How did that affect where your numbers and the uptake was? We definitely saw increased engagement, basically. But we, uh, as compared to some of the other platforms, we are still in a more nascent stage. But we did see month over month, we saw increased engagement and our total watch time increased. So that was good. Another part to your question that I think fast is a term in terms of streaming will eventually, I think, you know, in the next several years, be the main mode of how people watch TV. If you think like 70, 80 years ago, uh, you know, or like broadcast television started and there were some channels, then cable came along and there was, it's like a step function that really increased the number of channels, right? That uh, consumers could watch. And uh, now I feel like streaming essentially is going to be that next big step function, right? Even more channels will be created and there'll be channels that really match people's interests. There will be general entertainment or GEC channels, as they're called, but there will be more niche channels as well. With broadcast, it was very clearly mass media directionally. 
And then with cable, although it was niched, you know, you had the evolution into new networks, which, which address certain niches. You had ESPN, you had ESPN two, you had lifetime, you know, the, the who stole Correct. my baby network after all. I'm, uh-huh. I mean, you know, uh, but it was still, it was still a, a mass market. It was programmed and pushed. And then I think one of the things that happened with the digital revolution is it became a pull situation in terms of choices. And that's why we saw some unbundling of cable where people didn't want to pay to have everybody else's niche. You know, they didn't want to pay for that access. And and so then you have the streaming, which is there's a subscription streaming and you're talking about ad supported streaming. So it's very interesting. I mean, one of the things that I find really interesting about DistroTV, at least in terms of the research I made, and you'll have to correct me if I've gotten things wrong, was that it seemed like it provides a safe harbor to grow niche content. For instance, if you're a brand and you're wading into creating content, it allows access to that without having to do the heavy lifting of creating the entire infrastructure. Is that, is that correct? Is that correct? Yeah. So, yeah. so if you're looking to grow content, are you at Distros TV searching it out and saying, you know, you should think about making content or are people approaching you or is it a mix of both? It's a mix of both right now. I mean, when we started, obviously we, uh, you know, about, three and a half years when we started building uh, Distro TV, we were reaching out to partners. Now we get a pretty healthy amount, I would say sometimes more than half of it is inbound. Hmm. And I think that's really, you hit a, a very great point. Initially to build a channel or to build a streaming linear 24 seven channel was a heavy lift. You had to have studio broadcast equipment and so on. But now if you have content, so you're producing content, we essentially help companies create a 24-7 linear channel at no <clears throat> upfront cost to them, basically zero upfront cost or fixed cost. So you'll stitch a linear channel in the sort of technical terms called an HLS feed. We'll mm-hmm. create that. We'll put in the ad breaks, ad markers, and we can run that channel. We run that channel on Distro TV, and we also tell them, hey, we are happy to even syndicate it. One of the things that you said, you said it actually twice, which makes me curious, is the whole 24-7. If I'm a brand mm-hmm. or I'm a a subculture or in, an audience and I have created some content and I'm thinking about creating content on a more ongoing basis, but I don't quite have enough to fill 24-7 would I be able to find a home on your platform? In the old days, TV turned off at midnight. You know, they played the national anthem and then the yeah. the, the signal thing came up and cable then became 24-7. So what happens if you don't have enough? Do you do you pair people together? How, how does it work? First of all, so let me take a step back. And uh, so you can have your content as just VOD content to on demand. Oh, know, okay. typically the, so you can have that. Typically, we lean more towards a longer form content. So similar to what you would watch on a Netflix or even on YouTube. So, mm-hmm. so that you can have uh, on demand videos, but even we can create a limited like, you know, channels that are on only from, you know, let's say business hours or whatever, you know, local TV has. Right. So if you're a financial services company and you want to have content and, but you really think it's only going to be interesting to people so that they can tune in during their lunch breaks or something and get the latest and greatest thought leadership from your company, 
you can do that. That is correct. In my old life, my agency launched cable channels and put together upfront presentations and investor reels. So I'm really curious, do you manage the ad sales through DistroTV or do the channels do it themselves? I mean, when I'm, you know, who, who is the brand that goes to market to, to sell or do you not have upfronts? How does that work? We've tried to keep our platform and our approach pretty uh, flexible. So the way we work is we we go to the agencies and brands also, and uh, we get uh, advertising and share the revenue with our channel partners. But we tell them, hey, if you if you have a strong ad sales team and or if you have your own uh, we call we use the word demand right so if you have your own uh, advertising demand you can run that too so we take a, a smaller piece basically the way we uh, run our businesses we do not we don't charge any fixed fees so we just take a cut of uh, the advertising revenue so if we bring yeah. in so the cut is uh, a little bit bigger and then if they bring in their demand we take a smaller cut essentially but we are open to our partners running their own demand or mm-hmm. if they so choose we bring in uh, our demand yeah i see well that's how the ad revenue works how about building awareness who is the who is the brand that go, you know, that enter that you obviously need to tell consumers about Distro TV writ large. But then within yeah. that, you have this panoply of a very distinct channels. So how, you know, how does that happen? Who who owns that? Who's responsible for that? So the overall platform, we are responsible for market. We market Distro TV uh, as a platform, as a service to uh, consumers. But at the same time, we also create promotional um, events with our channel partners, right? So if they have a, a, a if there is a sporting event or e-gaming event, or if there is a, you know sort of a movie launches or show launches, we work with them to um, sort of co-promote uh, those the channels and events. So we definitely put budget towards that and also effort, uh, marketing effort, but our channel partners do it as well. Hmm. So because it's in, it's in everyone's interest to- Well, of know, course. Awareness, yes. Of so. course, I, but I'm, I'm curious because your brand is made up of these component parts. And if the brand proposition that you're going to market is that you you meet every that you're really hitting all the affinities deep that you really are addressing these things so if i'm a consumer you're shooting pretty why, where are you marketing are you marketing through social where are you finding that it's most effective for you to create brand awareness with and with these niche audiences that you're not going for gen pop you're actually going for a multiplicity of niches Correct. So we we use all you know um, we use all, all forms of sort of digital advertising, whether it is uh, display ads, whether it is the social advertising, video advertising. We also advertise on the platforms because a lot of our watch time actually comes from the the big OTT platforms, right? So uh, on Amazon Fire TV, Roku. Mm. 
the Google Apple TV, TV, Apple TV, right? So we advertise on those platforms too. So one of the things has been we, our apps are also available on uh, mobile. I mean, you can watch it on your computer uh, uh, as well. But it, it is interesting. That I think that's one of the things the pandemic has uh, maybe had some impact on. We see we thought the watch time would be more distributed across all of these devices, but we definitely see the watch time pretty heavily skewed towards big screen and and the OTT devices, basically. Oh, that's interesting. uh, Yeah, yeah. And recently, more recently, we've even launched uh, apps on um, TVs, like smart TVs themselves. So we have an app. You mean like the connected TVs, like a Samsung, those kind of things? That is correct. That is correct. So we are advertised there too. So we advertise on, you know, so on Sam, we have a distro TV app that's available on Samsung TVs. You can do that uh, also on on Sony TVs. Uh, We should uh, hopefully have an app launching very soon on LG as well. So that's, yeah. And for the and consumer, the app is free because it's ad supported. So that is correct. Right. And which makes it appealing because the barrier to entry, they, they can get to those channels. They can get to these partners that you have your content partners. One of the things that's interesting though, so COVID, you mentioned it ramped up the watch time. So you've got all these people chewing through content, just the maw, you know, this hunger for content and accelerated consumption. But it also put a spanner in the works in terms of content creation because production had to stop. So what does it mean for a service like yours in its nascent state if the content pipeline starts constricting? And are you seeing that? Not really. We haven't seen that. I actually think uh, there is, you know, right now we there there will be. In fact, as hopefully we are coming out of it, there is more and more content being created, and yeah, so we haven't really. Uh, so you didn't see any. It. There was no constriction because there was definitely production, sort of big production. You know, the big players, people weren't shooting; they couldn't shoot. Correct. And yeah. so I think. It, that applied more, I would say, to, you know, sort of more, obviously, you know, movie releases and new shows that were. And we we are not, you know, I think sort of talk shows, news programs, they still sort of they found were a way. going. Yeah, they found a way they were going. I think maybe another, the one thing I would say is maybe some of our channels that had sporting events. So the sporting events definitely um were impacted right they didn't happen but channels you know so channels created other uh, had other content or repurposed other content but that i would say is maybe on the sporting event side there was mm-hmm. uh, you know right the live where you couldn't get crowds where, where it was just right. not possible to do that i'm curious about sports because rights are so negotiated what what sports where are you with sports what sports are you are you showcasing we have a a lot of MMA. We have a baseball. We have, but again, not the major league. But we have channels to stream uh, baseball games. We have a channel that we've helped create with. Um, it's actually more of a channel for discussing. You know, uh, it's called Pro Football Focus. So it, it's a talk show about. Um, so it's the wraparound content. So the for the for the people who love. Right. I see. And have. Right. 
Stadium is another partner that's a great stadium and Whistle, uh, Whistle TV. So, and uh, those are the, are the channels that are available. That's really interesting. One of the things I was curious about is, you know, people grow accustomed to certain types of user experiences. For instance, Amazon, they have one-click purchases. And so the bar goes up for other retailers. You know, everybody's got to figure out how to make it as smooth an experience. So how do you determine what the optimal ad load is for your viewers? Because it isn't, I would think, it isn't as heavy as it was on cable before streaming happened. You know, people just aren't putting up with it. I would think maybe I'm wrong. So how do you, how do you calibrate it? And, and how do you keep up with where people are? That's a great question. So we want to keep it free for consumers, right? So Mm -hmm. in fact, we, we require no, we don't require any registration or we have no fee. So you download the app. You don't have to tell us who you are and uh, you don't have to. So you're not collecting any data. You don't have any data correct. on who they are? Yeah, we are very privacy friendly. So, oh. and, and uh, so, uh, so that's one we want it. And, you know, we want people to use it on any device, wherever they are, and just download the app and start using it. Right. So that's uh, one thing. And on the second, even on the ad load, we, you know, we try to be, again, very uh, provide a seamless experience and we're conscientious about that. So at maximum, it would be about, 12 minutes in an hour. Typically ranges, I would say, from uh, uh, 6 to 12 minutes of um, ad load in an hour. So it's pretty, you know, if you it's pretty look light. at it, yeah. yes, compared to network, uh, uh, compared to network television, sometimes which can be much higher, much higher, right? And sometimes more than twice that. Well, I, I got to go back to this privacy friendly thing because the whole time you're talking, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, all this data, of course you can go to market and sell to the agencies who want to know exactly, you know, it's targeted, 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 and you have none of that information. So how do they figure out where they want their ads to run if, if you can't tell them who's who's showing up? Well, there is advertising. We do know from, you know, people's, you know, you do know that where the user is coming from because, you know, you know what uh, DMA or where are they coming from. So you do know that. So, you You know, know, you know, geographics. Right. And you don't know what channel because the ad is, you know, all the advertising is delivered real time. So, you know, what channels they're watching. Right mm-hmm. to the channel, and so you, if typically, if an advertiser wants to target, you know, I want to target people watching sports in uh, in region A versus region B. We can do all of that, right? So that is, but we are not building what uh, what I say is any kind of. Uh, we don't collect any kind of personally identifiable information about. Oh. The, well, the this also lowers your tech lift in terms of all the privacy regulations like coming out of California or Europe, you don't have to worry about any of that because you're not, you don't have it. So it's like not a worry. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> you saved yourself a headache. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the intent was to build a platform that, you know, doesn't, you know, it, I think we are in, you know, sort of in an age where as uh, consumers are more aware of this and, uh, and companies also trying to create platforms that respect, um, you know, consumers' privacy also. Well, and it's a huge 
it's a huge issue with younger generations. Young consumers are very aware of it. Uh, definitely in terms of survey, we, we see that their awareness of their privacy. Uh, we're seeing consolidation among some of the big streaming platforms. And we're also seeing some players wade into ad supported streaming space or creating hybrid offerings. How are you inoculating yourself from those, you know, you carved out this space, but that if it's successful, that won't stop them from wading in and they have such, you know, they're huge. So how do you, how do you anticipate managing that? It's a good question. Actually, there's two perspectives on it. I think it will grow a lot. Typically, when you say streaming to uh, people today, they think of it as subscription-based streaming, basically, right? right? So whether it's Netflix or HBO or uh, you know uh, Amazon Prime, but I think you know, th- and that is the sort of the biggest part of streaming today. But I strongly believe that in the next uh, sort of few years, uh, three to five years, ad-supported streaming will be much, much bigger than subscription-supported streaming, right, So as an uh, ecosystem. And uh, so it's still getting started. And there will be, you know, there will be probably a few, you know, it won't be just one or two platforms. I think it will be maybe, you know, anywhere from eight to eight to 12, maybe, you know, eight to 10 or 12 platforms that will be successful. And we want to be one of those. And uh, there will be some, you know, some of them will be bigger media companies who will uh, either create or own some of those platforms. Yeah. So then I guess a question, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want. So there isn't a, you're not building for acquisition, then you're not looking ahead and saying, you know, we're going to build this, this ecosystem of, of deep niche consumer awareness. And then because this consolidation is happening across the board and yes, you have subscription streaming. And currently I think PwC had a survey and like 62% of the time was on streaming subscriptions, 32% was on ad supported ones, but it's sort of a silly survey because when people think streaming, to your point, what's available right now in streaming is mostly subscriptions, but people are only going to carry one or two subscriptions. They're not going to have lots and lots of subscriptions. So of course you're going to have ad supported material for the, the balance when people want to access content. But do you, you definitely are, are planning to be a player. You're not looking to position yourself for acquisition. Right. We, the way I look at it is, look, I mean, I, you never say never to anything, you know, you don't know how things play out, but it comes, the way I look at it is I focus on building, you know, we, uh, we focus on building a good business basically, mm-hmm. right? If you build a good business and you become a, you know, successful independent company, that's great. If somewhere down the path, you become part of another and it's if it's a good outcome that's great too like you know i don't right. I try not to worry about it's like uh, i don't need to choose between the which good outcome you know as long as we're, <laughs> these are the I'm, problems I'm to have this. yeah right yeah yeah you know I'm, i i really enjoy doing this and we are we have a lot of fun and uh, you know we are building something which people find engaging our team we all really enjoy what we are doing and that's to me is uh, sort of more important right 
Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us about your business and how it's growing and where you think, see things going. I think it's really interesting stuff. And I look forward to downloading the app and also <laughs> checking out that content. So thank you. Give, give it five-star reviews. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend, Rob Norton, the voice artist who recorded our open, and of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next. <laughs>